Bible study and church family, you're finding with me the book of Acts chapter 13. We'll begin to read this morning uh, in verse number 38. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on this subject, realities in real ministry. Realities in real ministry. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 13, begin to pick up in verse number 38, the Bible says this, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe the one were to, to declare it to you. And so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have sent, set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet, their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your precious Holy Spirit would speak to us and challenge us today. God, I pray if there's one amongst us who's never been saved from their sin, they've never repented and by faith trusted Jesus to be Lord, God, we pray that this would be the day that they do that. And God, I pray that you'll speak through this text today to the church. You'll help us to get a glimpse into real, authentic ministry. And God, I pray that we'll be encouraged and we'll be challenged by what we see. And God, as we seek in these days to, to be involved in real ministry for you every day, outside the church and inside the church, God, I pray that uh, these truths that are positive Lord, will we'll be a reality in our life. And God, I pray that we'll be encouraged by the negative response. That, Father, again, we won't come to a place of discouragement. As we studied last Sunday night, God, we'll, we'll remember the types of souls that we're sowing into. And that, Father, we can't choose for anyone, but we can choose to be faithful to what you've called us to do. God, I pray as we come to a time of invitation, whatever it is that you're calling men and women to do today, Father, we'll submit ourselves to your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. As, as the Lord leads tonight, uh, we'll be closing up uh, officially, I suppose, uh, a series we've been doing, studying on how to live like a missionary. Uh, last week and tonight, I guess I would describe as an appendix to the study. Last week, we did an examination of the types of souls that we sow into is Jesus gave an explanation of that in a parable about the sower. And that's to help keep us from becoming discouraged when we don't see a lack of fruit. We, we should be burdened, but that should be balanced, that we don't come to a place of utter discouragement. If you come to a place where you're not burdened, something's wrong in your life. You become apathetic and indifferent, but you don't need to let that burden take you to a place of just absolute insanity uh, and so you need to stay balanced as to the types of souls that you're sowing into. Well, tonight we'll look at some of the, the ways the enemy uh, can work through people to challenge us as we, we seek to live on mission every day. And we'll see that 
sadly lived out through the life of a man called Bar-Jesus. And then we'll see uh, also how John Mark, uh, young in the ministry, was overwhelmed by the hardship that he saw, and so he turned around and he began to return. Well, out of that experience that we'll look at tonight, Paul and Barnabas just continued to move forward uh, on mission, and they came to Antioch uh, in the area of Pisidia. Now, this is different than Antioch, where they were first called Christians. It's, it's, another, it's another town. Uh, but it was always the case with the Apostle Paul, he went straight to the synagogue. He went for the religious people. And friend, that's one of the greatest conversation starters that you can have here in the South as you meet someone. It's just to ask them, what's your religious background? Did you grow up in a local church? You know, did, you, did your family raise you in a local church? Where do you go to church now? And that will always give you a basis to begin a conversation with them. And so Paul went first always for the religious people. And that was the case. And as he went and he began to speak to those Jews, some things began to transpire. And it's really, we, we get a look into real ministry, what real ministry is all about as you live on mission. Uh, you know, a lot of times churches will begin to advertise for, for mission trips. And, you know, and everybody just shows the pictures of, of the fun things. You know, all the girls are going to get their hair braided like Bo Derek, and they're going to uh, sit, uh, you know, cross-legged, uh, you know, playing go fish with a, a little kid that's you know, doesn't have shoes on his feet. It's all these things. But friend, listen, ministry's not always uh, sunshine and roses. There's challenges, there are difficulties, there are hardships because you're dealing with people but you're also dealing with an enemy that's trying to work through people whose greatest desire is to see those people spend eternity in hell with him. And so we get a glimpse today in what real ministry really looks like, and we see uh, four lessons that can be learned. The first thing I want you to notice this morning is a strong witness. A strong witness. Paul had a strong... He, Paul knew nothing about being timid. You know, and, and we're, we live in a day where, where there's this term that's been phrased, you know, seeker-sensitive. We need to be sensitive to, to seekers. And, and again, you'll hear people saying, we, you know, I'm, we might run people off. And I've said this many times to you, but it's true. Friend, don't you listen to me. You're not going to run somebody off to hell number two. Are you listening? If someone's lost, they're already headed toward hell. There's not another one that you can run them off to. And so this idea that giving people truth is somehow going to turn them off to the gospel, that's not the case. Now, now I want to say, you know, parenthetically there, and, and, and was going to add it tonight to last week, you know, you can sow incorrectly. You can sow out of line with God's Word. You, you know, you can worry someone to death with the gospel to where Satan can use that to build up a wall. Uh, I heard a story about a, a little woman uh, who was burdened for her son. She wanted to see him saved. And she called him five or six times a day to tell him that he wasn't living the right way and that he needed to be saved. And she would just call him, and she, just, she, she would just continue to call him. She says, now, son, you know you're not living right. You need to be saved. You need to stop living the way you're living. And she just continued, called five or six times a day. And one day she just got on her knees just exasperated. She was so burdened for her son. And she says, Lord, whatever's keeping my son from being saved, I wish you'd make it just go away. And poof, she disappeared in the thin air. You didn't get that, did you? That's a joke. She was the person that was keeping him from being saved. Some of you will get that when you get home, maybe. <laughs> point is this, friend. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word, but you need to be led by the Holy Spirit how you sow the Word and present the Word in someone's life. It needs to be done in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And so Paul's going to be bold, but it's always going to be led by the Spirit. Number one, I hope it goes up from how we've begun because it's been terrible starting off. Number one, I want you to notice first off a strong 
witness, a strong witness. Look with me in verse number 16. The Bible says that as they began to enter in, verse 13, uh, they've returned to Jerusalem, they've been sent out. Now they go, verse 14, to Antioch of Pisidia. And so they enter in, verse 14 says, this, you need to see this, that they go into the synagogue and it's on another Sabbath. And after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, verse 15, the rulers of the synagogue sent to Paul and Barnabas and said, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. So literally, they invited them to preach. They said, We, we want to hear what you have to say. Would you give us, would you give us a word? Now, now, they did this because they thought they were like-minded like them. They thought that they were going to do ministry and present truth the way that they did. They presented truth that was convenient. If truth was inconvenient, they didn't talk about it. And so Paul's going to give them a strong witness. Look what the Bible says in verse number 16. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and when with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. And so the first point of his message was God's purpose. He began to speak to these Jews and to share with them and to remind them that it was God who had redeemed them out of Egypt. They didn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and that had not changed from the very purpose of which God had called Abraham. He says, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and it's through you that all the world's going to be blessed. That's why the nation of Israel existed. And, and then he spoke about God's protection. It's the Lord that kept you safe. With an uplifted arm, he brought you out. And he protected you, and he still protects you. The third point of his message was about God's patience. Verse 18, he says, now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. He said, God was long-suffering with the people. They continued to turn away from God, from his purpose, from his word, from the covenant, but God just continued to be patient and move forward with them. Our Wednesday night crowd will know the answer to this, because in the Old Testament, it's all about the, it's about the covenant. And so it was far above God's relationship with Israel, and it was far above any relationship he had with individual people. It was about the covenant. I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. Then he spoke about the land. Verse 19, he says, When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. He says, He gave you the land so that you could have families. And the whole purpose, friend, was that they were to be fruitful and they were to multiply so that in the fullness of time, through a woman, God would bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the whole point. That's why he gave them the land. Their possessions were there not to, 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 to meet all, you know, to serve them so that they could fulfill all of their whims and their desires and to be idle in their life, but so that it would meet their needs so that they could live have families, teach their children the way that they should go, and then in the fullness of time, Christ would come. And then he spoke about their man and God's man. Verse number 21, he reminded them that afterward they asked for a, a king. Well, this was after all the judges for about 450 years. He sent them leaders. Then after that, verse 21, he says, God, you wanted a king. He says, and God gave you Saul. And I want to remind you, friend, one of the greatest judgments that God can bring upon your life is to give you what you want. And, you know, we're living in a day of name it and claim it. And, friend, the greatest way to pray is not God, my will be done, but your will be done. And then you'll always have exactly what you need. And so they got what they wanted. They got Saul, and they had to deal with him for 40 years. But then God was faithful, and he sent his king, verse number 22. And then when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, and he gave a testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus Christ. He raised him up. And we're entering that time of the year here in just a few, just a few months of Christmas time. And, 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 and I love presents, and I, I love all the... I don't love putting it all up. I don't like taking it all down, but I enjoy it while it's there. All of the things. Um, but friend, Christmas isn't about any of those things. It's about Jesus Christ. He's the focus. 
And so God was faithful. And finally, He sent Christ. Verse number 23 says, From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus Christ. He was the Messiah. He came into His own. Now listen, He's talking to Jews. He's talking to many who had rejected. They already knew about Christ. And they had already set Him aside. And so he, they had moved on in their mind. But then he reminded them of John the Baptist. He says, And after John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And John, when he was finishing up his course, what a great reminder. Friend, listen, your ministry has a beginning and it has an end. When your ministry no longer serves the purposes of God, you're done. You're done. And so John, John was the greatest preacher that there ever was. But, but listen, he had an end to his ministry. And his ministry ended, and Christ's earthly ministry began. And so he was faithful to do that. And so he was always pointing to Jesus, that he was, he was God's Son. Verse number 28 through 29, jumping ahead. The Bible says, And though they found no cause uh, for death in him, they asked Pilate, that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. They really didn't like that part. They didn't want to hear about the resurrection because the only man that could be resurrected from the dead was God's son. That was a stamp of approval. Again, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so they didn't want to hear about the resurrection. Verse number 34 says, And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. Now this cut them. Now they, listen, they loved David, they loved Abraham, and they loved Moses. They loved people that they could esteem, and you know, that they, they said, you know, this, this guy's great. But listen to what the Bible says, And that he raised him up from the dead, that, that no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now listen to verse 36. This really got him. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. What does that mean? He decomposed. He went back to the earth that he came from. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but that's what happens to a body. They, they decompose. He said that David, whom you esteem, he, he saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. He said God raised Jesus, he said, and he's as alive and healthy. Listen, he's like a spring daisy sitting in heaven. He ever lives to make intercession for us today. And they didn't like that. Now listen to me. Paul knew when he began to speak to them what they were going to want to hear and what they didn't want to hear, and that didn't move him. Paul wasn't concerned what they wanted to hear. He was concerned with what they needed to hear. And what they needed to hear was truth. Listen to what verse 39 says. Well, verse 38 says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul went into a church and told them, What you believe is wrong. And the way you're seeking to be saved is wrong. He said, There's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved than Jesus Christ. And so he, he had a bold, strong testimony. And then he encouraged them. Look at verse number 40. He says, Beware therefore, lest that what has been spoken by the prophets come upon you. Behold you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were declared to you. What's he saying? The prophet's saying, don't cross God's deadline. He says, just because the Spirit is drawing you today to be saved doesn't mean you'll have the opportunity tomorrow. So Paul walked into a place where he knew the people wouldn't want to hear what he had to share. Most weren't going to receive it. And based on what he'd already seen in his own ministry, there were already some that were trying to pick out what rocks they were going to bash his head in with. They were staring at him like a lot of people stare at me sometimes and... But he, he wasn't concerned with what they wanted. He gave them what they need. Friend, listen to me. We are living in a day where people do not want to hear the gospel. 
But real ministry requires a strong testimony. You don't have to be bullish. I don't think this is a bad word, but you don't have to be a jerk. But you've got to be bold. You can't apologize for the word. Well, now I'm sorry this says this. No, friend, we didn't write it. We just simply tell people what the Bible says. And you have to confront people in the direction. You have to let them know, listen, you're, you're approaching a deadline in your life. And every person has one unknown to them, but known to the mind of God. Genesis 6, my spirit, God says, my spirit will always strive with man. And just because the Spirit of God is calling and drawing someone to salvation today, and He wants all people to be saved, it doesn't mean He'll call and draw tomorrow. And many that Paul were preaching, he says, you need to beware, therefore, lest as what has been spoken by the prophets come upon you. What was that? That you cross God's deadline and you have no opportunity to be saved. How? Because they hardened their heart against the Lord. Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 says this. The Bible says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of the trial of the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation, and I said they always go astray in their heart, as they have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What happened? An entire generation crossed God's deadline because they refused to receive His word and His will. Friend, if you're going to effectively live on mission in these days, listen to me. You have to have a strong testimony when you speak to people. A strong witness. You've got to tell people exactly what the Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of, of, God's, of God's glory and His righteousness. You need to tell people all have sinned. You need to tell people that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. There is a literal Hell, where lost people spend eternity if they don't turn and trust Jesus Christ. You need to tell them that it's their personal responsibility to turn and trust Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can convict them. But you've got to tell people this. I know it's easier to invite them to church. I know it's easier just to let them know you're praying for them. But how many people are going to be in hell that had the opportunity to hear the gospel, but people weren't willing to stand up in the face of opposition and an uncomfortable situation and give someone truth. If you've been saved, would you just ease your hand up in there? Somebody gave you truth. Somebody gave you truth. And you ought to give it to somebody else. Paul loved people's souls and he had a strong, he had a strong witness. I'm telling you, friend, this is no time to be timid. We need to be bold in the days in which we're living. Second, not only do we see a strong witness, but we see a squandered opportunity. A squandered opportunity. So sad, verse number 15, they say, Paul and Barnabas, would you, would you please preach to us? And so the, 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 the service ends, the Bible says in verse number 42, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Man, they were so excited. Why? Because they had been shut out. The Jews for these 400 years in this intertestamental period, they didn't think the Gentiles ought to be included in knowing God. Even though that God says, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all peoples of the world be blessed. It was God's plan to send Christ to die for everybody. Jew and Gentile, red, yellow, black, white, they're all precious in His sight. But they didn't see that. They didn't receive that. And so because of that, the Gentiles had been pushed away. They had no heart. They had no desire to see them saved. Well, now they're hearing truth, the Bible says in verse number 42. And they begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. They said, Paul, could you preach that same message again next week? I mean, and really bear down on Jesus' repentance and faith in His Lordship. We want to hear it one more time. We're so glad to hear that Christ loves us, and he died for us. And verse number 43 says, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Well, they were political. 
in their heart, they didn't want them to keep preaching. But they knew all the people wanted them to keep preaching, so they knew that they had to say what everybody wanted them to say. And so they said, well, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you just come on back next week, unless you got to leave. I mean, if you got somewhere else to go, that's fine. You know, just continuing the grace of God. Well, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and God's plan, the Bible says on verse number 44 that on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. Now, don't miss this. When the Jews met together at synagogue, only the Jews came. The Gentiles didn't come. They had a small crowd. So when they, whenever they, they had their ideas for ministry, they opened the doors, they encouraged people to come to Jewish synagogue. Nobody came. But now all of a sudden, the whole town has come. And so rather than be excited that everybody has the opportunity to be saved, they're filled with pride. Well, why didn't they... Why didn't they come when we asked them to come? Why didn't they come when we were preaching? Uh, they said, why didn't they clap when I sang? Why didn't they show up when I was teaching Sunday school? Why didn't... You see where I'm going with this? It was, all, it was all about them. You see, ministry was all about them. And so the Bible says, look at verse number 45. Look at it. Right here it is in the Bible. They were filled with envy. Why? Look at me. They wanted the glory. It was, ministry was all about them. It wasn't about God and it wasn't about Jesus. It was all about them. Who could stand in the spotlight? Who could get a pat on the back? Who could be recognized? And so they began to contradict, the Bible says, and blaspheme and oppose the things spoken by Paul. When Paul says, Jesus is God's Son, no, He's not. God's raised Him from the dead. No, He's not. Somebody stole His body. No, friend, he ever lives. We, we, listen, we've got friends that saw him for 40 days. No, they don't. You're liars. And so they begin to dispute the gospel. It's no different in the day in which we're living. All these scientists and self-appointed theologians wouldn't know God if they met him in the road, contradict God's word and different passages and say that's not inspired and she really wasn't a virgin and no, he didn't die, he just swooned. Friend, listen, it's all garbage inspired by Satan to try to cause someone not to believe the truth of God's word. Still exists today. We have an enemy that works through flesh and blood. But it's interesting to me, one moment they wanted Paul to preach, they said, Paul, would you preach? And now it's, Paul, would you shut up? Sounds like some folks on uh, pastor search committees I've known to tell you the truth. Now, we, we want strong preaching, Brother Chad. And then six weeks later, we didn't want that strong. What it was was we don't want to hear inconvenient passages of Scripture that run against unrepented sin in our life. That's what that means. And so they didn't want to hear about Jesus they wanted passages of Scripture that confirmed and affirmed that they were still going to wait on God's Messiah. And so when he gave them truth, they didn't want him. He was like, would you please shut up? And so it's such, it's such a sad reality. But the religion couldn't save them. And this is what really tore them up. Paul says, you're just as lost as a Gentile. You're just as lost as as a Gentile. And so, friend, listen, when they rejected that opportunity, the Bible says they hardened their heart. Every time someone, listen, every time someone rejects the opportunity to be saved as the Holy Spirit opens the door, they harden their heart against the Lord. And that's why, again, the author of Hebrews says, you know, we're, we're not to harden our heart against God. We're to seek Him while He may be found to call upon Him while He may be near. Isaiah 55 and verse number 6. I want to remind you, friend, listen, as you live on mission and as you are a sower of siege, you're always in a race against hardening soil. You're always in a race. You know, when a farmer tills the ground and then he goes out and he begins to lay off rows, he doesn't sit and wait two months until July to go plant. I've never met a farmer. So, you know, I'm going to wait until the ground gets as hard as concrete. And then we'll put the soil, we'll go out and put the seed in the ground. No. He plows that ground. He amends it. 
with what it needs to, to, to be right, to, to have the, to, the right condition for that seed to germinate. And, to go, and he gets that seed in the ground while it's the perfect kind of soil to receive the seed so it might grow and bear fruit. And friend, the time to reach somebody with the gospel is while their heart is tender towards the things of God. That's why we're so passionate about children's ministry and student ministry. Kids haven't gotten out into the real world yet and had their hearts hardened by life and by sin and by all the things that this world has that sadly so many of us know about that can do that. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a race against time. Against our, because when someone continues to reject the gospel, listen, they squander away the opportunity to be saved. And that's what many of these Jews had done, a squandered opportunity. They crossed God's deadline. So we see, we see, first off, a strong witness. We see a squandered opportunity. But third, I want you to notice this this morning, a surrendered will. A surrendered will. When someone trusts Jesus Christ, it's because they surrender their will to His. They turn from sin and they lay their life at the feet of Jesus. The Jews weren't going to do that. He'll not be king over us. And we meet people like that. We try to sow into people's lives like that, sadly. But many times, and thank God, we'll meet some people like these Gentiles who have a heart ready to receive truth. Well, look what the Bible says in verse number 46. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary after they said, Look, we don't want to hear you anymore. We're, we're going to speak against what you have to say. So Paul and Barnabas, they grew bold. I like that. They didn't quit. Do you see that? They grew bold. Look at verse 46. Do you see it? And Paul and Barnabas grew bold. They'd say, well, they didn't want to hear it, so I'm quitting. They just, they just moved on to the next field. And, and that was just people. They just kept living on mission. So Paul and Barnabas grew mold and said, it was, it was necessary that the Word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. And that, that burned them up again. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles. You know, you hear them, no! No! They didn't have a heart for people. They didn't have a heart for people. And you know, and, and so it's easy, don't listen to me. Because I've pastored here in the South, from North Carolina to mid-Alabama. Okay? And so I'm, I'm not stupid. You know, we'll affirm, we want all people to be saved. But, you know, as long as they're our color and think just like us. There's always been, friend, I want to remind you, God wants all people to be saved. All people. And so the Jews were prejudiced against the Gentiles. If you're not careful, you'll bring in prejudice. Again, friend, I want to remind you, you may not understand someone's culture. And there's some cultures that I do not understand, and I have tried. Just don't understand why some people choose to live the way that they live. But I know this from reading God's Word. Every person I look upon is a soul for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died. He loves them. And He wants them to be saved. And so they rejected that. All the, the Gentiles know. says, I've sent you as a lot... To the Gentiles. We need to remind God has sent us as a light to all people. To all people. That you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. We should be from salvation from one side of Bradley to the other side of Hamilton. Wherever, wherever county we go, we're to be a light for everybody. One side of the plant to the other. One side of the school to the other. One side of my retirement world to the other. I'm to be a light for lost people. That's what God calls us to do. Now, the Bible says in verse number 48, there was a group, friend, they weren't putting it down. They were excited about this. Can I just say, man, I, I love church members that love God's Word. And I love all church members, but I just got, I'll be honest with you, I love some church members more than other church members. And the ones I love more than other church members, it's not ones that give or do or pat or praise. It's ones that love God's Word. Church members that are a blessing to pastors are the ones that just want to hear God's Word from the first letter to the last letter. They want to hear it all. And they love it all. They don't argue, they don't gripe, they don't turn sideways. They just love God and they love His Word. 
And so these Gentiles, man, they were so happy. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. Friend, they, they were without hope, and now they hear God loves them. Christ died for them. They don't have to go to hell. And they began to glorify the word of the Lord. Say, praise the Lord for his word. What were they praising? The gospel. He says, man, it is good news. I don't have to go to hell. I don't have to live a broken life anymore. I don't have to feel so empty. I don't have to be defeated by sin. I can have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the latter part of this verse is a verse that sadly has been misapplied and misinterpreted and taken out of context by many, well, I'll just say Calvinists. The Bible says, And as many have been appointed to eternal life, believed. As many as have been appointed to eternal life, believed. We've shared with you and we've taught you in discipleship. When a verse is taken out of context, it becomes what? Pretext. It's exactly when you take a verse out of its context to support a predetermined notion that you're going to come to Scripture and make Scripture fit into, it then becomes pretext. What many who believe in predestination and that God chose who would be and who would not be saved, they said, now right here's a proof. As many as God had appointed to salvation, they got saved. And as many as He didn't appoint to salvation, they didn't get saved. Well, if that's not what it means... Brother Chad, then what does it mean? I'm not going to ask you to turn to all these, but I will ask you to write them down. Write down 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Remember, the law of hermeneutics states when you have similar passages of Scripture that is about the same doctrines, the easier to interpret always define the harder to interpret. It may not always clearly tell you what it is, but it will clearly tell you what it can't mean. Do you understand that? Say amen. All right, well, I've got part of you. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Listen to what John says. You just had Sunday school lessons on it. They'll be fresh on your mind. He says, my little children, these things I write to you. Now, who, now John, he's writing to little children. Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who've already been born again and saved. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we'll hide God's word in our hearts so we may not sin against him. And if anyone sins, he says, any of us who've been saved sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Literally, we, we've got a lawyer. We have someone to speak on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He'll say, that's my girl, that's my boy. They've been born again through my blood. They belong to me. The Bible says in verse number 2 that he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Okay, now the following, listen to me. He, John says, Jesus, Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He's the payment for our sins, us who have already been born again. And not for ours only, but also for who? The whole world. Not just those who have been predestinated. Those, he says, for everybody. He says, Jesus Christ is the payment for everybody's sins. Well, friend, if that's the case, then can predestination be right? Absolutely not. So that can't be what that verse means. Well, who else can help us on this? Well, John chapter 1, verse number 29. Jesus said the greatest preacher that ever lived was John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the Bible says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and just, his heart began to be filled with joy. He was so excited. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody. And I know, because I've heard it, some counselors say, Well, that's just the world of the elect. Really? I mean, please. The world. He says it's for everybody. Well, I, you know, that's just not strong enough. Well, if that's not strong enough, Let's turn to the author of salvation himself. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. Jesus said of himself, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the who? The world. Well, just prior to that, write down John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Very important. Stay with me. Jesus gives an illustration of what it takes for someone to be saved. He gives an illustration of someone's personal responsibility 
in being saved. God's going to do His part, but man has to do their part. It's not works. It's a, pre, it's a choice that someone has to make to position themselves in order to receive God's forgiveness and God's touch and God's regeneration. Now remember, Jesus was speaking to a Jew man by the name of Nicodemus. Stay with me. And he began to speak to him about what it meant to be born again. John chapter 3, verse 7. But Jesus gives an illustration that Nicodemus would have known well from Numbers chapter 21. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What in the world is Jesus talking about? As Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. Now, I mean, lifting up a serpent doesn't sound like a good idea to me at any time unless it's dead. What's He talking about? Well, in Numbers chapter 21, the Bible says, begin reading verse number 4, I should say that, in Numbers 21, that they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. Now, this is the nation of Israel while they're making their journey out of Egypt. They're making their way toward the Promised Land. The Promised Land represents the abundant life that we have in Christ. Okay? And the Bible says, pay attention, that the soul of the people became discouraged by the way. They were impatient. They didn't like, why are we having to go up this way? It's steep and rocky. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. What was the worthless bread? It was the manna. And the manna was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a shadow of what Jesus would be. Jesus says, I am the bread that's come down from heaven. They said, we, what they literally said was this, we despise Jesus Christ. God, we despise your provision, we despise your way, and God says, that's about enough out of you. Verse 6 says, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. God, what happened? God sent a bunch of snakes Venomous snakes amongst the people. And everybody that was a complainer got bit on the ankle, on the leg. Can you imagine if that happened on just any given Sunday? Some of you just picked your feet up off the ground right then. There wasn't, well, I won't even say how many we'd have left. But anyway, God said that's enough with the gripers. And so he sent snakes among them. They started, they started biting them. Well, they hated Moses and they wanted to have him hung, but now all of a sudden it turns into Pastor Appreciation Day on verse number 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, you know, Moses, we love you. You're the best. Please pray for us. They said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now listen. God gives Moses a plan. He gives him a method, a way, that the people can be healed from the judgment against their complaining, which is the venom that's now running through their body. And this is what God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, he put it on the pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he, when that person looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Well, what happened? What's, what's the scene? All these people have been bitten by snakes, and some have already died, and some are in excruciating pain. The, their legs are already beginning to swell. They're starting to tear near where that's happened. It's moving toward their heart. And Moses prays, and God gives him a method. He says, I want, you to, I want you to fashion a symbol of the judgment against the people. I want you to make a bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to lift it up. And if someone chooses to look by faith at that serpent, believing that I can heal them, they'll live. That was God's method, and that was God's message. 
And so Moses went through proclaiming that message, holding up the snake. He says, look and you'll live. Look and you'll live. And probably some people are like, well, that is just absolutely stupid. What could be accomplished by me looking at a bronze serpent? I'm so tired of this, and my legs are... And they just, they just died where they were. They didn't believe the message of God. Did you hear that? They didn't believe the message. God says, if you look, you'll live. Moses says, God says, look at it and you'll live. I didn't come up with this. God said this. Look at the serpent and you'll live. So we said, that's just, that makes no sense to me. I can't reason that that will work. I will not look. But some people chose to look by faith. Some people positioned themselves. They set themselves in order, friend, to look by faith. And the Bible says they live. God didn't say that the ones I've predestinated to live will, live, will look and live. God says whoever chooses to look will live. Jesus says in John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus doesn't say, well, well, those that I've predestinated to look to me will look and they will live. He says, whoever looks will live. He says, it's a choice that a man has to make. For God so loved the world that he... That Moses could have gone through the, through the group of the people and said, look, for God so loved the world that He gave this bronze serpent that whosoever looks at it by faith will live. And that's what Jesus said in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That's me, He says. Now, whosoever believes in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was for all the people that were snake bit. It wasn't for only those that were snake bitten. He chose. It's for everybody. And when Jesus hung on the cross, friend, he hung on that cross. God poured his judgment on sin upon him. He said that serpent was a picture of what Jesus Christ would be for us. Our sin substitute. And whoever chooses to look by faith to Jesus, whoever chooses to position themselves by faith to look to Jesus Christ, the Bible says they will live. That word in verse number 48 in our text, in Acts chapter 13. Look at it again. You need to see this. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life, that's from the Greek word teso. It's in the perfect Passive verb tense. It means that it's self-inflicted. It literally can be translated and does. They that set themselves to, to look upon. That is, the, to, it means to set in order. To set in place. The Bible says that these, these Gentiles, verse number 48, who heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord and as many as had set themselves in place. That is, that chose to look. They, 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 dis, they position themselves to look to Jesus Christ. Everybody, all those Jews who chose to look at the bronze serpent, they lived. And every man and woman, friend, I don't care what they've done, how far in sin's barrel they sunk, if by faith, friend, they'll position themselves to look on the sinless Son of God and believe on Him for everlasting life, the Bible says they'll be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah! And so they made a choice to choose. I'm telling you, every morning we're living in a day where you're going to be confronted and have conversations with people at the workplace, in your family. Listen, Calvinism is on steroids in churches. And I'm telling you, it is a lie of the devil. God desires all people to be saved. And friend, listen, we, we are lost in our sin, and thank God there is the perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. But the idea, friend, that God predestined who would be and who would not, did He know who would be and who would not? Absolutely. He's sovereign God. He's omniscient. But friend, listen, when Jesus died on the cross, everybody was on His mind. He wanted all people to be saved. And you need to be able to stand and to defend against that. The easiest thing to do is just to walk away. Don't you let somebody try to convince you because they've been in some Bible study sipping wine with some guy that's got a goatee trying to tell them that in eternity past, God predestinated who would and who would not be. Jesus said, whosoever will. He loved all people. 
It's who chooses to turn to look on Jesus and live. So it's not a matter of chosen or not chosen. It's a matter of choose or reject. The Bible teaches here that many that they chose to turn and receive Jesus Christ. Fourth and I close. This is very important for the church. The Bible says that many heard, many believed. Verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews, don't miss this, stay with me. I know we're running late. Listen. The Bible says in verse number 50, But the Jews stirred up the devout prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them out of their region. Uh, that's a nice, nice way of saying they threw them out. It says, get out of here and don't come back. But what did they do? They just symbolically shook the dust off their feet against them. But don't you notice, friend, it, it wasn't in spite. I've heard people use this verse for, well, I've shook the dust off of my feet. Well, no, what you said was it's all about you. Well, I got my feelings hurt, and so I'm going to shake the dust off. Paul and Barnabas didn't get their feelings hurt. The Bible says they shook the dust off their feet against them, and they came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Can I say to you this morning, Paul and Barnabas didn't know what it was to experience church hurt. Hello? You want to know why? Ministry wasn't about them. You couldn't hurt their feelings because they represented Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, friend, the majority of the time, that so listen to me, someone in church gets their nose out of joint and just sits and turns sideways and they just get flustered. It's because something about them has happened. It's about them. Ministry's about them. Well, I've got my... Well, I, 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 I. Ministry's not about us. Jesus, others, me last. And so this was, this was a selfless response. It wasn't personal. He just, Paul just kept moving on. He just kept moving on that Jesus Christ changed my life. I'm moving on. Was he disappointed that the Jews didn't get saved? Absolutely. Was he burdened for them? Yes. Did he wish it wouldn't have happened? I'm quite certain. I can't imagine that he just want to say, you know, I wish they'd thrown one more rock and hit. They didn't hit right here. They hit right here. And right here, by which they hit me right here with a rock. I can't imagine that he said that. But he didn't quit. He just kept moving forward. I heard a story once about two monks. They were on a journey. And they, were, they had to go to the city to get supplies for where they were serving. And so what stood between them and the long journey was a large river. And it was the rainy season and the river was swollen. As they got to the edge of the river, they saw a woman that was sitting there, an older woman, and I don't know how to put this, a larger woman, all right? She was, anyway, she was portly. So she couldn't swim. And so they got to the edge of the river, and they started again. The woman says, you know, could you, could you, could you two monks help me across the river? And one monk looked at the other monk, and they knew that it was their duty. And one seemed to be a little more excited than the other monk did. And so the woman says, sure, ma'am, we'll help you across. And so they put the woman up on their shoulders, who was just a little larger, and they began to try to move across the river. Well, they were stumbling over the rocks, and she started grabbing their heads and trying to balance, and she was pressing. And one of them's neck started getting stove up as she was pushing. And then she moved to shift her weight, and then she drug her bag, and it hit one of the other one of the monks in the back as she was moving across. And then she moved her hand down across one of them's face and poked one of them in the eye. And they were really just having a time trying to get this lady from one side to the other. And finally, they got her to the other side and sat her down. She was so joyful and said, thank you. They were soaked to the bone. They had a place that they had to go. So off on their journey, they kept walking. Well, one monk who had seemed a little joyful about helping, he just began to whistle the same little tune he'd been whistling on the way up to the river. And the other monk, he just he started talking to the other monk. He says, you know, well, my back's killing me now. I'm telling you. I just really feel it right here. And she poked me in the eye with her hand. I mean, just poked me right now. And she hit me in the ear. I feel like a, a briar came back and hit me in the ear. She just she hit me with her, her bag. And, and he just kept complaining the whole way about this woman and, 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 and what he had had to do. And finally then, 
his frustration moved from the woman to the other monk who wasn't speaking, who's just whistling the tune. He says, man, what's your problem? Are you not upset about, about what we had to do? Why are you not complaining? He says, because I set her down at the river, and you're still carrying her. And so often in ministry, people within the local church, they lose their joy, and they get knocked out of the church when they've had to go through an inconvenient time because they don't set it down. Paul was able to go to the next town, and he, when he shook the dust off his feet, friend, listen, it wasn't a, well, I'll show them. It wasn't that kind of spirit. The symbolism was, I'm shaking the hardship off so Satan can't use it to bring me down. Not, everybody, look! Showing you, that wasn't it. He shook it off, showing the devil, saying, you can't use this to bring me down. I'm moving forward in faithfulness to Christ. Friend, you're going to face hardship. You're going to face difficulties. And what keeps you moving forward in faithfulness is this. There's no such thing as a hurt in church that can keep me from loving and serving the one who bled and died for me. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Have you responded like those Gentiles and been saved? Have you positioned yourself by faith to look to Jesus Christ? Friend, only the Holy Spirit can convict you. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except the Spirit sent him draws you. It's God's plan. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. But you must choose to look to Christ in saving faith and receive him to be Lord of your life. If you've never done that, won't you do it this morning? In a simple prayer of faith where you sit, just tell God your desire today to be saved. Bullshit to Him. Mean it with all your heart. Pray just like this. God, forgive me, a sinner. I turn from my sin. I agree with you. Your word, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I trust Jesus today, what He did on the cross, as a payment for my sin. I believe He rose from the dead. And I'm looking to Him today to forgive me, to save me, but most of all, most importantly, to be Lord of my life. Come live in me, mold me and make me to the person you want me to be. That's my prayer today.